thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask for your anointing and leading as we look at this psalm and just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 41 is a Messianic psalm. And we're going to begin. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Blessed is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And he will, and you will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon his bed of languishing. You will make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaks vanity. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes abroad, he tells it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaves fast unto him. And, and now that he lies, he shall... And now that he lies, he shall rise up no more. Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat with, of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requit them. By this I know that you favor me, because my enemies do not triumph over me. And as for me, you uphold me in your in my integrity and set me up before my face before your face forever blessed be the lord god of israel from everlasting to everlasting amen and amen all right verse one bless you need better glasses oh they're fairly new so i shouldn't blessed is he that considers the poor the lord will deliver him in the time of trouble Blessed you can also be interpreted happy. Uh, happy is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. And this is kind of the idea that if we take care of others, God is going to take care of us. Uh, if we, and it goes into the whole idea of giving. When we give to God, he gives back to us. Uh, and it goes into you know, the degree that we give him is the degree he gives back to us. And if we ignore the poor, God will say that He'll give back to us what we deserve, which is when we're poor, nobody's going to help us. This is an important thing for us to consider because God cares for the needy, the poor. He doesn't want people to be poor. And, that's, and poor is the lack of material wealth and spiritual strength. It's not just talking about physical poorness. It's, it's also those who are poor in spirit that need God's training, need to be taught. And this is something we want to be able to consider. I mean, we don't want to just get this idea, oh, we're worrying about the people who don't have nothing physically. It's also those who have nothing uh, in spirit. And he'll take care of us. And he also gives us a desire to help others. And I think it's important for us to understand spiritual weakness and everything has to be considered. Because there are people that are so spiritually weak, they cannot do, they may have lots of wealth even, but they're spiritually weak and without. And we want to be able to really lift them up. Uh, verse 2, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and, will not, and you will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. 
So part of the blessing on helping those is, the first one, God will preserve him. Preserving means guarding, protecting, and that's talking about those who will take care of the, the poor. Number two, keep them alive. Uh, this is something that <laughs> all of us want to be kept alive, I'm sure. Um, uh, so, and he shall be blessed upon the earth and will not be delivered unto the will of his enemies. Not being delivered to the will of your enemies is very important. Part of that is God's will, yeah, God's yeah. will being shown, his, his love, and just the smile and brightness and, and, and countenance people have. And Christians should have this countenance of joy upon them, and people notice that. People notice that countenance of joy and kind of the glow, the glow that the Spirit puts on our face. Uh, in Exodus, we're talking about how Moses came off the mountain with his time with God and had a literal bright glow on his face. But we as Christians also should have that glow, that, that glow of peace, that glow of there's something different about us, and people are attracted to that. To that. Uh, some people are repelled by it because they don't like it, but they're also attracted to it. They, they really want it, but they don't, their reaction is to push it away. God is wanting to do that, and he won't deliver us to our enemies. Why? Because we are honoring him. And sometimes that means we will be attacked. We may be attacked, but he's not. The key to this is not to the will of the enemy. The enemy wants to say to the Satan, have you considered Job? And he put that you know, fence around what he could do to Job. Uh, and so he had took a lot of punishment, but not a lot of, he didn't get put in the will of the enemy. Verse 3, the Lord will strengthen him upon his bed of languishing. He will make all his bed in his sickness. This first one, he will strengthen him in the bed of languishing. Languishing is a word that we don't usually use a lot of times. It literally means to become becoming or being feeble, losing strength, pining, withering, and fading, fading. Very, I mean, it's a very strong word. You know, he's in his bed of languishing, and the Lord says that he will deliver, will strengthen him. He will give him strength. I think it's one of the greatest things about being a Christian is God gives us the strength to be strong in any situation, even if it's a very hard situation. Uh, we see people who are dealing with cancers and they, or, or dialysis or anything, and they minister to the people that are, that are healing and trying to help them you know, physically. And they're, they're ministering to them spiritually. I had a friend who was doing chemotherapy for, for, uh, for uh, breast cancer. And he used to go in and he talked about how he witnessed all the different nurses that, were, that, that had to deal with his chemotherapy because he wanted to care for them. He wanted to, he wanted to strengthen them. God strengthened him, and he was going forward. Uh, it says, you will make his bed, you, you will make his, all his bed in his sickness. And that literally means to uphold and sustain in his sickness. He will overturn, he will overturn the sickness. This is very interesting that God says he will care for us. Because I think about this. What's the worst thing that can happen to us in the, at any time where things go wrong is that we might live. I love, and I've said this many times. When I was a teenager, I used to tell everybody the worst thing they could do to me is almost kill me because I had this attitude of if I was dead, I, was in, I would be in heaven with God. 
So the best thing somebody can do for me is to kill me. Now, it's not the end of the world if I die because I stand before the Father. And we want to be able to look at this. Doesn't that change everything? Because when you go through hardships, your goal is God, whatever it takes. I talked about this a while back ago. In, the Christian, in Christianity, in the apostles, when they suffered for Christ, they gave thanks that God determined them to be worthy of suffering. How often when we suffer is our first thought, thank you God for, that I'm worthy of suffering. It's usually, woe is me, you know, what, you know, what's going wrong, and, you know, why, why are things so bad? The apostles, every time in Acts, all through Paul's writings, he goes, they give thanks because God determined that they were worthy of suffering for him. And just think, if you had that attitude, you know, you're going to be thankful when bad things happen. Not that they happen, but, it, but Paul said, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Because, you know, because of what we go through, we get the strength of God. You know, we don't have the strength of us. It gives us that strength, you know, we truly believe. And then as we go through it, and it gets better, and we see, because we're following with God, you know, how, how much he does help us with that strength. Yep. And the more he gives us the strength, the more we should be thankful for it, and the more he's going to allow us to test that strength as well. Because he wants to prove himself worthy in our life. And we will never be able to survive it in our own strength. When we turn to God, we can stand up to anything. Paul said, you know, in Romans, Paul said, you know, what can separate us from God? And he gives a whole long list of what can separate us. And he ends up after that long list saying, nothing can separate us from God. All we have to do is turn to him. And God is saying, I'm right here. I want to give you. I want to bless you. I want to give you all of this. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against, against you. And this is the first thing we want to look at, is when things go wrong, we want to look at our lives and say, have I sinned? And that's the first question. Have I sinned, and do I deserve what's coming my way? And if so, I, I confess it. I repent. And God will bring me deliverance one way or another. He'll bring me deliverance and he'll give me strength. But the very first thing is, have I done something wrong? If I haven't, then it's thank God, thank you God for this, this suffering to allow me to show you're strong. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. He wants to show that he's strong. And he shows it through us. One of the greatest things we can do as a Christian is... Stay strong in God in spite of everything that goes wrong in our, you know, going wrong in our life because the world can't do it. The world turns to alcohol and drugs and all these other things to get through these hard times, maybe even striking out at people and being angry at other people. It's always their fault, not mine. And when they look at us as Christians just depending on God and staying strong, that has an impact on people. I think I shared one time, I had a, I had a waitress work, that worked in uh, one of the stores next to where I worked, and she looked, walked, turned me aside and go, how come you're always smiling? You, you're always, nothing seems to bring you down. I'm going, because it's God. It was an opportunity to share with her. And her manager was a Christian, and she goes, well, this manager doesn't, doesn't have that same attitude. And I'm going, well, that's between him and God. I just know that God is my strength. And it made an impression for her. 
We need to be able to lift that up. And the more we live a godly life in front of people, the more they respond to us and, and are seeking after that. If you have an enemy and you just live a godly life in front of them and you don't strike out at them and you pray for them, before long they're going to be looking at you and they'll start to be more friendly. They will start to be more interested in what you have, especially when they can't kill you. Back in, back in the Christians, you know, the, the first century, they just killed the Christians. But, but they still saw that they took even that with a great faith and, and trust in God, which impressed them. Christianity became what it is because of Christians standing strong and saying, thank you, God, I'm willing, you're willing to let me suffer for you and be an example. And it draws people, that strength draws people because they want it. They want strength. The world wants strength. They just don't know how to get it. And our job is to show them. And that's the key to this. We sang the song this morning, Count Your Blessings. If we just look around and count our blessings, we see all that God's doing and gives us strength. Every morning I list my blessings. And I thank God for all the things I have. And life isn't so miserable and I'm not so bored and hateful and just, just bored and out of sorts. Every day, every morning I start my fight. Crucify my flesh in prayer. And then I start sitting on the couch drinking my coffee before I read the Bible, listing all the things I have to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. And, when, and, and when the more I'm thankful for, the more I get. Yeah, <laughs> and the more you realize that you have. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing about counting our blessings. We just start. We start out maybe having trouble even thinking about blessings, and then the more we get into it, the more we realize here's some blessings, and more blessings than we even think of. Just the idea of being able to get out of bed in the morning is a blessing. You know, there are people who can't get out of bed in the morning without help from other people. So our being able to get out of bed in the morning is a blessing. Being able to have food on the table, which almost everybody that, you know, in this church has food on the table. The idea of being able to get around, to be able to read the Bible. I, I know a pastor who's dead now, but, you know, he went blind and he had a lot of trouble because he couldn't see to read the Bible. We take it for granted, but you know, to to have that a blessing for us to be able to see and hear. There's ways that we can hear the Bible if we couldn't see it. There's all these different avenues that we have, and they're blessings. The the fact that almost every one of us have enough money to 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 survive, maybe not be rich and have everything we might want, but we are surviving. We have the means of transportation, we have roof over our head, we have food, food on the table, those are all blessings. And we want to just be able to look at those things and say, God is blessing us. It says, verse 5, my, en my enemies speak evil of me, when shall he die and his name perish? That's talking about some pretty mean enemies, isn't it? You know, we just, we're waiting for him to die and, and see his name no longer exist. That's pretty vicious. I mean, we're not talking about enemies who are just trying to make your life miserable. These are, these are enemies that want you dead. And he says, my enemies speak evil. And if he come to see me, he will speak vanity and his heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes abroad, he tells it. You know, when he sees me. Now, why an enemy's coming to see him, I don't know. But, an enemy, you know, but when the enemy sees him, he speaks vanity, emptiness, foolishness. 
And we, we want to look at this, you know. We want to be so careful that we don't speak vanity about other about things and other people. You know, to speak emptiness. We're told we're told that we're going to give an account for every idle word we speak. Now for some people that's a very, very scary thought because they speak idly a lot. And God is saying that He wants to that He wants us to be careful what we say, careful of what we do. And we, we want to be careful that we don't, you know, give, you know, jesting and, and, you know, wild jokes. I mean, it's, it's okay to joke around a little bit, but, you know, we want to be careful on how we joke. I know especially with guys, a lot of times they'll, they'll make, you know, rude or crude comments and everything, and, you know, especially in some certain in industries and fields, and, and they, you know, people will laugh and everything, but God says you're going to be accountable for all the idle words. And we want to be careful about that. We want to think about what we're saying. We want to try to make sure we stay spiritual in what we say because it's so important to do so. And we want to be able to look at that. And it says that he gathers iniquity to it. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. Have you ever been in a place where maybe you're angry with somebody and all of a sudden you start thinking really bad thoughts toward that person and they start getting worse and worse and worse the more you think about them. Kind of the opposite of count your blessings. It's, I'm so miserable, I'm going to make myself more miserable by contemplating all the bad things that can happen and, and, and you know, make, it, make it worse. The evil that people think about you is going to just start intensifying and they're just going to make their life more and more miserable. We meet people who says, I, you know, I've got this, I've been mad at this person for, for 10 years. And the problem is, the person they're mad at doesn't even know they're mad at them. Or they don't even know why. Or why. They, they, and they're, they're contemplating all these bad things they can do to that person. Maybe they're not going to do them, but they're thinking about all the bad things they could, could maybe or want to or should do to this person. And they're making their life miserable through lack of forgiveness, from lack of forgiveness of that person. Very important for us to learn forgiveness one for another because it is so easy to offend somebody. I mean, and you may offend somebody without even knowing that you did it or even meaning to. Uh, you, you know, how many times you've heard, well, they gave me that, they gave me a look. Mm. What look? A real mean look. They were, they were really mad at me. I don't know why they were so mad at me. They gave me a mean look. And the person probably never even looked at you, but you, you caught them just as their eyes crossed over, you know, and, it just, and they were not feeling good or something, and, you, and they gave you a mean look. And then I've heard people that will hold that against that person for years that they got a mean look from them. And we want to be careful about that kind of stuff because God is saying forgive. He, he told the disciples forgive, you know, 70 times 70 told Peter. And he wasn't saying go to three, 490 and then you can stop, stop forgiving. He was just saying, just keep forgiving. Just keep forgiving. Just like God does for us, he forgives and forgives and forgives. Most of us on any day have had God probably forgive us at least 490 times for different things we've done to him. Even, even those of us who think we're doing okay, we're probably still made plenty of errors in that area. Then the, then the, the wicked will go out broad and tell it. You know, they'll, they'll tell all the bad things about you. Actually, I don't know why this, uh, my sister and Jerry here, we were laughing and talking about 
first thing that we stick our tongue out at. <laughs> and I don't know why that was so bad, but that was really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the days when that was considered bad. And, you know, we were laughing, but we couldn't figure out why was that so bad? Why would we do it? But we see someone that maybe said something nasty to us, so we go, well, we would have got a spanking if we got caught. But we were laughing about that. It's a silly thing, but I still can't remember why that was supposed to be so bad. I don't know why sticking your tongue out if anybody was considered bad. I mean, it's, it's kind of rude and it's obnoxious. Nasty, it's that's it's nasty, nasty, so that's probably what it's all about. It's just that it's kind of rude and nasty and disrespectful. Uh, so that's probably what it is. You know, I may have to do some research on why why that was, why that's considered so bad. Raspberry, raspberry. Yeah, but this is you know that the the enemy will go out and tell. You know, in this case, it's telling of his sickness and his downfall. And his, but how often do people just want to say bad things about others? And how often do we listen to it? Gossip's based upon that whole me mentality. They want to say something nasty, and people want to hear something nasty. So that they can have some something against somebody. I don't know. And it's very important for us to, number one, keep our tongues so that we don't share gossip. Number two, not listen to it. But we've also talked about many times how we let God be our defense when people are talking about us. Because I can guarantee you, every time you try to get involved in fixing their, you know, correcting what they've said about you, it's just going to backfire and make you look worse in the, in the long run. God will be the defender for us. And all we want to do is be quiet and let him defend. Let him defend. And I've seen people just get all nervous and upset. Well, I've got to straighten out what's going, what they're being said. I'm going, it won't work. If you go to them, they're not going to listen to you anyway. They'll deny that they said anything. If you go to the people that are hearing it and, and repeating it, they're, not, they're just going to think that you're being self-righteous and trying to defend yourself. And, and it never works. So we want to let God defend us. And be careful about this because... People are out there. There are people that's going to talk about it. And it doesn't matter how good you are, people will find something to say about you. It might even be how, how you think you're better than everybody else because you're, you, you're, you're, because you're good. But the scriptures doesn't tell us anywhere that we're to vent one to another. We want to vent. The one we want to vent to is God. And because the one thing bad about any accepting anything negative you know, from somebody is even if you do not believe that it's true, if you hear it a number of times, it starts to put a very strong poison in the back of your mind. You know, somebody says, well, you know what so, who so-and-so did? Well, no, I don't believe that. No, it's nothing like that. Yeah. It's, it's not like that. It's just like what he's going through is like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you're talking about yourself, it's not gossip anyway. And that they probably still shouldn't be venting to other people because it doesn't help people. But, but that's not a problem area. I mean, if they want to share what they're, li what they're going through in their life, as long as it's not, well, so-and-so is treating me so bad, you know, and, or this happened, you know, this person is doing this. If they start getting into that realm, then you've got a problem area again. Yeah, 
But if they're just venting that their life is miserable and they're sick and no, and bad. stuff, it's, it's just like anybody here. You always need an extra hand, and sometimes you don't. Not even about how miserable they are. It's not, not even, it wasn't even about that. Just oh. How some extra help would be nice. But it's hard because extra help means money. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Verse 7, all, they, all that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. This is actually getting into a kind of a depression that he's, that he's looking at, you know, that everybody's against him. They're all whispering against him. And this is where if we get away from God, we can feel like everybody's against us. And we might even think that our family's against us, our, our, you know, our closest friends are against us. If we let ourselves get into this depressed state, Outside of God, we can we can imagine that the whole world is against us. And in David's case, sometimes the whole world was against him, but he still shouldn't have been feeling all that, all that. And there were times when all the world was against him, and he and he was giving praise. So we want to be careful about that. You know, looking to God, how can we? How can God be blessed? And again, going back to to counting our blessings, looking at what God's done for us. One of the ways to get out of any kind of uh, inferiority complex or persecution complex is to actually go out and help others. And service is the best thing that we can do sometimes. When people will just sit in a pew and, and sit at home and just start wallowing and everything is going wrong, the answer really is to go out and serve somebody for God and ask God, who should I, who should I help? Who should I serve? Who do I need to help? And the actual act of serving others takes our mind off ourselves. For one thing, usually we find out that some people have it much worse than we do. Down and you, know, you help others and you find out, wow, my problems are nothing. It's funny that sometimes I'll go to some of the pastors' uh, meetings that, with other pastors, and I'm kind of down a little bit, you know, the finances are, are tight and everything. Uh, some, certain things happen, and then they'll start talking about how bad things are in their lives and in their church. And I'm going, well, thank you, God. I don't have any problems there. Uh, you know, kind of sad, but it's like, thank you, God. It's not, <laughs> it's not as bad as it seems. But when we're, when we're helping others and we're, and we're talking with others, sometimes we, we realize things just aren't as bad as they could be. And... Kind of a way, that's kind of a blessing in and of itself is that it could have been worse. Probably a negative way to get a blessing, but if you can't think of any other blessing, at least go to it could be worse. That's a blessing in and of itself. An evil disease, they say, cleaves fast unto him, and now that he lies, he shall rise up no more. You know, he's so sick that he's dying, 
and they're waiting for him so that when he dies, you know, he lays down, it'll be his last one, and he won't rise up. And it says, in this case, cleaves to him is that he's cast, it's poured on, the, the disease is poured upon him, kind of like a cast. And he's going to be bound and not be able to rise up. We probably all felt that t sometimes when things seem so bad, it's almost like we've been bound up because we're just so deep into it. And again, the idea is come to God. Let's go to God and, and meet him. This is also because how Jesus, what was going on to Jesus right before, right before uh, rested and the attacks have been coming on him and his enemies are waiting, you know, looking to get rid of him and looking for him to be killed. Verse nine, this is where we start. My own familiar friend in whom I trust, trusted, which did eat my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is, you know, uh, the idea of his being sold. Yes. Judas, yep. Judas selling him. Lifting, you know, he ate bread with him. He, he, he spent his time with him. He was, he was considered one of the 12 disciples. He was a, he was a close, intimate, huh? He was the accountant. He, yeah, he had the money bag. He kept their money for them, which he liked to steal from, apparently, from what they said in, in the scriptures. Yeah, but it says, and this is also a picture of the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 where it says that, that the serpent would strike his heel and, his, and, and he would crush the serpent's head. Okay, so this is a mixed uh, sentence here. It's talking of Judas, but it's also talking about Satan. And if you think about this, Satan was the archangel in heaven responsible for, for all that was going on and so he would have been considered a friend of Jesus as well. And when he rebelled, he was striking out against him right then too. So this is a multiple picture of, the, of this uh, prophecy. And it says that he struck out his heel against me. But you, O Lord, have mercy on me and raise me up that I may requit them. And the idea here is that he's going to recompense, make... make uh, Make, a, make them safe, make the, make the reward. He says, have mercy. And who remembers the definition of mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Not getting what we deserve, correct. Have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. Over and over we, we read the word mercy. Not getting what we deserve. So he says, have mercy unto me and raise me up, raise me up, that I can recompense them or make safe or reward. And this is, this is not the idea of punishing them, but to raise them up. Jesus paid our debt and was raised again from the dead, not so that he could punish all of us for the sin, sin that he paid for, but that he could reward us with everlasting life, that he could raise us up. By this I know that you favor me, because my enemies do not triumph over me. Have you been there? Have you seen, have you seen enemies come against you that have not triumphed? They've been, they've been twisted around to say, maybe even reluctantly, recognize that you're changed. Especially somebody who newly gets to follow God or comes, comes to strength with God. And all of a sudden, they start watching the people trying to come against them, trying to drag them down. And the longer the, the longer they go walking with God, the more the enemies will start saying, "This person's different." 
And part of this is when you change, everybody is always waiting for that person to fall again. When an alcoholic gives up alcohol, the family and, and friends are excited. This person has given up, but they're also waiting for that day when they fall back because it's happened so often. So if it's not God who's made the change and made it permanent, they're waiting. The longer it goes, the more certain they are that this person is changed. And then they look at why has this person changed? What was their, what was their strength? But, but up to a point, they're like, okay, th this has happened, especially if it's happened multiple times. They've gone on the wagon, they've fallen off. They've gone on the wagon, they've fallen off. They've, you know, they've quit, they've quit this, they quit that, and, and they went back to it. And everybody's always at that point saying, okay, this has happened before. They're, they're, it's gonna, they're gonna fall off again. And the key here is that when God gives us the strength to change, people initially will be waiting for us to fall off. Alcohol, drugs, uh, you know, sexual activity, whatever it might be, they're all sitting there waiting for us and saying, okay, this has happened before, they're gonna fall off and it's gonna, they're gonna just go back to normal. There's a line in a movie, uh, Fireproof, where, uh, I don't know if you've all seen Fireproof or not, but it's, it's about family coming together, you know, marriage being stuck together, and the woman goes, this is not normal for you as he's trying to win his wife's heart. And his answer back to you is, welcome to the new normal. And this is what God does for us. He gives us a new normal way of living. And so we want to be able to say, this is, this is new, this is normal, because God has changed me. And people will look at it and say, after a while, they'll say, okay, there is a new normal for this person. They are a changed person. This is the power of God being revealed. I am a new person. I am going to show forth a new way of living. Why? Because God is in me, living through me. Verse 12, And as for me, you uphold me in mine in integrity and sets me before your face forever. Isn't this a great idea that we're set before God's face? The whole idea, we probably don't understand how really remarkable this is because, because we're Christians and everything, but be able to stand before God. In the Jewish mindset, the only ones that ever stood before God was the high priest once a year. He got to go in behind the veil with the offering to stand before God. We as Christians have this opportunity to stand before God's face, accepted because of Jesus Christ. Not condemned, not in fear of our life, but we get to go before God and say, here I am, God. Here I am. I get to be able to worship God in his presence. I get to go before God's throne and give my requests at any time that I want because he accepts me. He has made us his children by adoption because of Jesus' sacrifice. And children have a greater access to their parents, no matter who they are, than, than some stranger. There's many CEOs that are holding their family up high and says, if my, if my child or my wife comes in, let, you know, they are to have access to, the, you know, to me even in my office. It said that uh, JFK's children could go into the Oval Office whenever they wanted, no matter what he was doing. They had access to the President of the United States. No, they had access to their father, you know, who just happened to be the President of the United States, who would take time to deal with them. 
this is who we have access with. We have access with the God, the King, the Sovereign of the universe, and we can go into his presence at any time because we're his children. That to me is a very powerful thought when I think about it. You know, I personally, I will never get into the act, you know, the, to see the president probably in my entire lifetime. I probably will never get to see a governor in my lifetime. You know, be lucky to see a mayor in my lifetime, you know, because I just don't have that kind of influence out there. But the idea that as a child of the king of the universe, I have access to the king of the universe at any time because I'm his child. I hope you get the preciousness of that, that thought. He's not somebody that says, oh, stay away until I open the doors. When I open the doors, you can come in. But until I open those doors, you can't come in. No, he says we have access 24-7. I love the little sign up there. I don't know if we'll put it up, but he's talking about God, God having, uh, you know, he's on, he's on duty. We don't have to hold on to it. We put it in his lap and we walk away from it. You know, and that's the key. When we put things in God's lap. What's his name? Oh, okay. Steve, Steve brought it in. Okay. But it's the idea. How many times do we go to God and we give him our requests, we give him our desires, and then we drag him back? <laughs> God, here, have all this, but I want him back. I'm going to take him back, and I'm going to fix him somehow. You know, that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's something we need to practice at and get done. Because there, I saw a skit one time where this guy came in loaded down with a bunch of baggage, you know, bags in, you know, and it's a skit that's been around forever. He comes in and he goes to God and he says, God, I want you to take away all these, all these bags. And then he walks away and, and his voice will usually come over. I thought you were leaving the baggage with me. Oh, no, God, I just want to hold on to it a little while. I just wanted you to be aware of it. Or you know you leave it there. When, you know, it depends on which point they want to, which point they want to make on the skit. But God is saying, leave the baggage with Him. He's He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and He wants us to take His burden. He wants to swap burdens with us. You know, He wants to give us His light burden and take everything that bothers us. If we can learn to do that, the more we learn to do that, the better off we are. Because we just say, God, I've got this problem here. It's yours. And then walk away from it and let God deal with it. Is it easy? Like Loretta said, no, it's not easy. The more we, again, though, the more we do it, we've talked about this before, the more we do a spiritual walk and exercise, the easier it gets. It's not easy at first. Nothing is easy at first. And it's just like a physical learning to walk. You watch that baby learning to walk. That baby can't walk. They stand up, fall down. They stand up, they fall down. They stand up, they fall down. They stand up, take a step, fall down. Before long, you kind of wish you hadn't taught them to walk because they're everywhere. But into everything, everywhere. And then, and then they go from walking to learning to run. And then from running into whatever, whatever. You know, climbing, uh, dancing, playing, you know, the, the very unique moves of, of any kind of sport. You know, we advance, we go forward. And in our spiritual walk, it's the same thing. We learn to walk, and then God's going to press us. He doesn't want us just walking. He wants us to learn to run. He wants us to learn to dance. He wants, to lear he wants us to learn how to, 
uh, do martial art moves, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever exponential thing you can think of about the way we move. Uh, and then getting the graceful moves that you, that you want. He wants us to go beyond just stumbling in, in a walk, but going into very graceful walking with him in the spiritual realm. And he just wants that from us. He wants to see us be triumphant. He wants to see us be, be strong. You know, he wants to uphold us. He wants us to set us before his face forever. And that is where our position with him. We will be before him forever. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when we die in this, in this physical life that we have, we step into our spiritual realm with him, and we're right there with him. And what that means, I have no idea. What it means to be present with God in the spirit world, I don't know what that all means. It's not the idea of sitting on a cloud with a harp like so many people picture it. It's going to be an exciting thing. It's going to be intense to be with in the presence of God. Sometimes you'll feel it when you're worshiping God, whether it's at home or in your car or in service, when you just feel the presence of God where you're at. Oftentimes I'll feel God's presence when I'm studying his word and, and just, just talking with him and, and being just excited about what he's showing me. And all of a sudden you feel the presence of God. And just when we're with him, it's going to be multiplied by an infinite, infinite amount more than anything we've experienced on this earth. And those are the great times when you, when you get that experience with him. You're in front of his face. You're, you're there forever. The last verse in the psalm. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Does anybody remember what amen means? Huh? So be it. So be it or let it be so. So he's saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. So be it and so be it. This is... This is the prayer that God is going to bless. And he's not just Israel's God anymore. He's our God. He's our God. He's our Father. He's our friend. We have a great, great time to be able to, to work with him, to sit down with him. We, want to, we are now at the end of what is called Book 1 of Psalms. Does anybody remember the sheet that we gave out way back at the beginning? <laughs> Does anybody need a new copy? All right. So we're, if you look down at the very bottom, we're at the end of the book one, which is considered the creation of man, and, and creation in man. Most of these psalms have had something to do with either God's creation or man's state. We're getting ready to go into what's called book two of psalm, psalms. It's from chapters 42 to 72, and, and most of the psalms in that section are about redemption. And who remembers what redemption means? What does it mean to redeem something? Buy back. Buy back or, or exchange. Uh, we take the, if you, everybody except for two of them are probably old enough to remember the S&H screen stamps or the plaid stamps. You, you got them when you bought something and you put them in a book. And, it, and when you got so many books, you would go to the redemption center and change those books for something. Get 
get a whole car full in for free. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's basically a redemption. It's the same type of thing. You, you've done something. You've, you've accomplished something. You turned something. You turned something worthless into something valuable. Uh, in this case, for us, it's Jesus has paid the price so that He could take us from the slave market of sin and bring us into His children. Uh, and so the next the next section here will be mostly about redemption. Uh, then there's the sanctuary, the earthly pilgrimage, and the Word of God. Uh, and this also has in there, if you remember, it has the at the very top we put in the different forms of Jewish poetry. The idea that they use. Uh, what they call synonymous, where they say two things, the same same thing, and they repeat it twice, or parallelism, where they re, you know they show the opposites of it. Uh, so, and sometimes there's a few of them in there that they use acrostics, basically, or they match you know like the book of uh, Psalm 119 is a great big acrostic at the very beginning. Every eight verses is a all the words in Hebrew begin with the same Hebrew letter and they work their way through their alphabet. There's lots of different things, and remember the song, Psalms means song or music. And so I just wanted to get this back out to people in case you'd forgotten some of the information on there. And we got done really early. Anybody got any questions or comments? Any biblical questions? Well, we'll be done early then. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll be done. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your care. We thank you for your word that you help us to understand things. We just ask you to go with us today, be with us this week, and help us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.